All right. Good morning, everybody. So uh, last week, I said that we were in between sermon series, and I realized this week that I lied, because I didn't realize it, but we were starting a new series last week on the parables. I had uh, been planning on something else, and I decided we're going to postpone that, that other series and uh, just focus on the parables in Luke for a while, because you can't go wrong with looking at Jesus' teaching. So that's the plan uh, for the rest of the fall. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, last week we were in Luke chapter 8. We're moving ahead uh, two chapters. And we're going to be starting in verse 25. And uh, as Leah said earlier, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, you know, if, if the parables were a greatest hits album, this one would definitely be on there. Uh, this has been the, uh, the topic of many sermons, I'm sure. And the title of Good Samaritan has really worked its way into the popular culture, right? People who have never even read the Bible or been to a church uh, know of a good Samaritan, right? And usually it's the term that we use to describe uh, somebody who does a good deed for a stranger, right? So if you're broken down on the side of the road and someone comes and they help you fix your car, you might call that person a good Samaritan. Or if somebody finds your wallet at the gas station and they return it to you and everything is intact just as you left it, then they are a good Samaritan, and those examples do capture a significant aspect of what the Good Samaritan is in Jesus' parable. But they also miss one significant aspect as well. And I think that that aspect is the most interesting part of the parable. So, uh, let's look at the parable. Before we do, let me say a quick prayer for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together and worship. Uh, Lord, we invite you right now to help us to slow down, um, help our minds to stop flitting from one thing to another, and just to focus, focus on the scriptures, focus on you. Uh, we invite you to work in our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Oops. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, in order to really understand the significance of this parable, we have to remember that it is an answer to a question, right? Let's go back to the top. An expert in the law asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get it? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he answers, basically, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus affirms that answer. Right? He says, yep, that is the best way to summarize the law. That is the path to life now and forever. Love God and love your neighbor. Amen. And then verse 29, the man asks, but who is my neighbor? And we're told the reason he asked this question is because he wants to justify himself, right? Meaning, he wants to be sure that he is doing what is necessary to gain eternal life. He wants confidence that he is meeting that standard of loving God and loving neighbor sufficiently. And so he asks, who is my neighbor? And I would say that if we wanted to translate what who is my neighbor actually means, it means, who am I allowed to hate? <laughs> right? Anyone who's told the way that you attain eternal life is by loving God and loving neighbor and then says, who's my neighbor, is looking for a loophole. And the parable is Jesus' answer to that question, who is my neighbor, who am I allowed to hate? And the key to understanding Jesus' answer is to know something about the historical context. And that is that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They really hated each other. Uh, we don't have time to get into all the reasons why, but basically, Samaritans claimed to be the true Jews. Uh, the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans said, no, 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 the place where the real temple is is in, on Mount Gerizim. And to give you an idea of how ugly things had gotten between the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, 128 years before Christ, the Jews went and they destroyed the Samaritan's temple on Mount Gerizim. And even more recently, so during Christ's earthly lifetime, um, it was in 6 AD, some Samaritans snuck into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem on Passover, one of the holiest days of the year, and they desecrated it with human bones. Which is just, you know, basically it's a way of mocking the sacred, right? So that should give you an idea of how ugly things were between them. 
And things had really heated up between them around the time that Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. Uh, the historian, Jewish historian Josephus, uh, recognizes that there were numerous times that the tension had escalated to violence between the two of them. And the uh, Jewish and Samaritan religious leaders at the time had the same advice. They said, don't associate with the other. Okay? Stay away from them. Don't talk to them. In other words, they're not your neighbor. And so when this guy asks, who is my neighbor, he's hoping that part of the loophole is the Samaritans are not your neighbor. Right? He's hoping that Jesus is going to answer the way that most religious leaders would answer, which is to say something like, well, your neighbor is your fellow Israelite who recognizes that the appropriate place to worship is in Jerusalem, who is a true descendant of Abraham. That is your neighbor. That's who you have to do good to in order to inherit eternal life, the one who has the same political, ethnic, and religious identity as you. That's your neighbor. But instead, Jesus tells a story about a good Samaritan that's provocative, that's disturbing. He tells a story about a Samaritan who comes across a Jewish man beaten nearly to death and then treats that man like a neighbor. The priest in the story doesn't treat him like a neighbor, right? A Levite, also a Jew, does not treat him like a neighbor, but the Samaritan does. Now, I might be reading too much into this, but I think that the man whom Jesus is speaking to is so disturbed that the Samaritan is the hero of the story that he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Right? Did you notice that? At the end, Jesus says, you know, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the answer he gives is, the one who had mercy on him. Right? He could have just said, the Samaritan. That would be the easy way to put it, right? But he doesn't want the answer to be Samaritan. He doesn't want Samaritan good to go together, right? So he says, well, he was merciful. He was an exception to what a true Samaritan is, right? So that's the way I'll answer the question. I'll just emphasize that he was merciful, right? It's like he's, he's giving the answer through gritted teeth. So, remember, I said that our usual definition of what a Samaritan is, a good Samaritan, is a stranger who does a good deed for you. If we're true to Jesus' parable, a good Samaritan is not someone who is a stranger. Who, well, it's not just someone who's a stranger who does a good deed for you. A, a good Samaritan is someone who you would normally hate who does a good deed for you. Or to turn it around, you are a good Samaritan when you do something good for someone who you would normally hate or who would normally hate you. That's what it means to be a good Samaritan. You know, and I think if we're really going to appreciate how this parable sounded to the original audience, we have to try and imagine how Jesus would adapt it to different audiences today. So, you know, this is where we get a little scandalous. Like, right now, we're removed, right, from the situation of the Jews and the Samaritans. So, Jesus can say, good Samaritan, and it's like, well, yeah, sure, a good Samaritan. Okay, but let's try to put it more into our context. So, 
Jesus, if he was talking to a certain audience, might tell a story where the first person who walks by is a Christian pastor, and the second person who walks by is a seminary professor, but the person who stops to help is a Muslim. You know, or more, maybe he would tell a version where the first person who walks by is a, uh, a well-known liberal Democrat. Same with the second person who walks by. But then the person who stops to help is a guy with a red Make America Great Again hat on. Or to the opposite audience, he might tell a story where you know, the first person who just walks by is a well-known Republican senator. The second one who walks by is a well-known Republican representative. And then the one who stops to help is a dyed-in-blue Democrat. You know, I'm sure we could imagine all kinds of different identities for the Good Samaritan that could be shocking for different audiences today. Right? Jesus might tell a story where an illegal immigrant is the one who stops to help. He might tell a story where a transgender activist is the person who stops to help. Or, to certain audiences, a fundamentalist Christian is the one who stops to help. Certain audiences would have discomfort with different people being the hero of the story, right? Now, you know, I certainly don't want to accuse any of us here of hating anyone. But if there is a particular identity that you feel disdain for, that is who you should imagine as the Samaritan in this story. If you really want to get the effect of it, that will give you an idea of how it felt for the original audience when they heard that. You know, if any of the answers that I, if any of the examples I just gave made you uncomfortable, good. That's the whole point, right? That's what it felt like to the original audience. Because when Jesus told the story, he made the hero of the story someone whose theology was all wrong and someone who was part of a group that had been violent and disrespectful to the Jews. Now, all that said, okay, I do want to be clear about something, which is that Jesus is not saying through this story that what we believe is inconsequential, okay? He is not saying that every single identity we could adopt is equally valid in God's eyes. Yet, you know, that every single political identity, social identity, religious identity, it just doesn't matter at all, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying, and uh, some of the evidence that I can offer of that is a, is a different conversation Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. You might be familiar with this. He has a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well, and in that conversation, he tells her pretty bluntly that Jewish beliefs are more true than Samaritan beliefs when it comes to theology, beliefs about God. Uh, he says at one point, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So again, Jesus is not trying to say through this parable that Samaritan beliefs about God are just as good as Jewish beliefs, just as accurate, just as true. 
That's not the point of this parable. We have to remember the point of the parable, which is Jesus is answering the question, who is my neighbor? Right? Who am I allowed to hate? That's the question he's answering. And Jesus answers by telling this story, a story where a Samaritan, a hated person, is the good guy. So if that's Jesus' answer to the question, who am I allowed to hate? Well, clearly not Samaritans, right? And it would be hard to find a people that Jews hated more than Samaritans. So Jesus is saying you have a responsibility to love all people. Who are you allowed to hate? You're not. That's Jesus' answer to the question. Now, you might object. I could understand this objection. You might say, well, the Samaritan in the story was a really nice Samaritan, right? He was compassionate, so he should be treated as a neighbor. But that doesn't mean everyone should be treated that way. And I would say, well, hold on. Remember, after Jesus tells this story, he basically asks, who was the good guy in this story? And the answer is, the Samaritan. Right? And Jesus then says, go and do likewise. Be like that guy. The Samaritan did not show compassion to the man on the side of the road because the man on the side of the road had already showed compassion to him. Right? He knew that man was Jewish. That's part of the whole point of the story, that the Samaritan man helps the Jewish man. He knew that there was bad blood. Between them, He knew there was animosity, and yet, even though an act of compassion had not been done to him first, he did that. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Be like that guy. Treat the person outside of your group as your neighbor. So who is my neighbor? Everyone. Who am I allowed to hate? You're not. That's the point of the Good Samaritan. So what we need to take from this is that our compassion should never be limited to the people we agree with. Our compassion should never be limited to the people who are the same ethnicity as we are, never be limited to the people who are citizens of the same country as we are, or even who hold the same faith as we do. Our compassion for people is supposed to extend beyond all of those categories. And if you haven't noticed, we live in a time where people are really emphasizing their identities, their tribal identities, and focusing on those to a point where it's like we do good to our own, but we demonize and exclude and fear those outside that tribal identity. And honestly, we as human beings, it is our natural tendency to find a group, to identify as part of that group, and then to fear or demonize those outside of the group or see them as a threat, right? And Jesus is saying, I know that's that natural tendency that human beings have. You need to push back against that. You need to reject that. You need to allow your compassion to extend beyond the normal boundaries that human beings place on it. All right, well, if you're any, 
anything like me, at this point, you have a question. You might say, okay, you know, I understand. Jesus wants me to have compassion on everyone. I get that I'm supposed to love people, whether I see them as being on my team or not. I get it. But, you know, if my compassion is supposed to extend beyond my family, beyond my country, beyond my church, that's a lot of people, right? And there's a lot of suffering in the world. And when I think about how compassion is my responsibility beyond the normal boundaries, it's overwhelming. I can't I can't worry about all the problems that are going on in the world, you know? I can't worry about every person who's suffering. Does, does this resonate at all? I mean, I know that I, I feel this way sometimes when I, when I think about a parable like this. I think if that's a question you're asking, I think it's a good question. And I think we do need to recognize we are all limited. We're all finite. None of us are God, right? Not even close. And none of us can bear all the suffering of the world. We just, we can't do it. None of us can mend every single person out there who needs help. We only have so much time. And it's important to recognize we do all need rest. And Jesus, in his ministry, he, he actually modeled that. He recognized that. Sometimes he took time to rest, even though there were crowds of people trying to hunt him down, people who needed healing and wanted help, and and they'd be looking for him, and Jesus would go off and hide for a while. He'd take a break. He'd rest. He'd pray. He'd go for a walk. Jesus knew that he needed rest. He knew he could not let the the demands of, of compassion control him every moment of every day, right? But we have to be careful because we can't let that excuse lead us to be like the priest and the Levite in the story. Because you can see how if we, if, we, if we focus too much on that excuse, we could become like the priest and the Levite. As we walk the road of our lives, there will be times where we will come across people who are suffering, people who are who have wounds that need to be mended and who need help, people who are longing for mercy. And when those times happen, we should feel a responsibility to help, right? So when you walk down the road of your life, who comes into your field of vision, right? I know, like, if we think about Expanding our compassion beyond the normal boundaries, it just never ends. It just goes on and on forever. But as you go throughout your day, as you walk along the road of your life, as you're at work, as you're at school, you know, when you're going from place to place, running errands and that sort of thing, when someone comes into your field of vision who is like the man in this story, who you know is in need of mercy, You should feel that responsibility. We should feel that responsibility uh, to act. And I know you're not likely to come across someone who is literally half-beaten and dying. Thankfully, that's unlikely to happen. But you may find people who, metaphorically speaking, really need someone to help bandage their wounds. Right? To help them get back on their feet.
So, we don't have to make every problem in the world our own. We can't. But we should ask ourselves, who has God brought to me on the path of my life who I can be a good Samaritan to? Who has God led me to that I can show mercy to? And if you're just tempted to say, well, I don't have time, you know, yes, you have to have healthy boundaries in your life. That is true. But at the same time, think, I don't want to be like the priest and the Levite. I don't want to just think, I've got other stuff to do. So, in a moment, um, the band is going to come up, play a reflection song. And during that time, my challenge to us is to just kind of take mental stock of the people that you are around on a fairly regular basis and ask yourself, Lord, is there one person from work, from school, whatever, who I know needs mercy, needs some mercy? One person. And just ask God to reveal that person to you. If that person is someone who is outside of your normal groups, that's even better. Right? If that person is someone who you ordinarily don't even like very much, even better. Right? And then ask, Lord, how can I show mercy to this person? What is something tangible I can do to help bandage this person's wounds and get them on their feet, encourage them? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this challenging parable. And I pray that we would take it seriously. It's hard. It's hard to take it seriously. But you did say, go and do likewise. And Lord, right now, uh, as, we, as we process, Father, we just invite you uh, to bring the right person to mind. And Lord, we pray that as your spirit leads us over the next week, uh, we would be a blessing to many people, that we would be your hands and feet in the world, that we would be your church, what you had in mind when you, when you started the church, Lord. Help us to be that. In Jesus' name, amen.